All right. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about getting starting with investing in real estate. So we'll call it Investing 101. So it won't be a, it'll just be a pretty broad overview of, of kind of getting started. And I usually do this through the, the eyes of when I'm kind of interviewing a, a client to, to get where they're going and what they want. So that first question is, why do you want to invest? And usually there's three components I look for we talk about when we get into that. And the first one's cash flow, second one's appreciation, and the third one's tax advantages. Okay, so let's break cash flow down. What yeah. is what does that look like for your client? Yeah, so I, the way I explain it is cash flow is basically the remainder of money left over after all the expenses are paid. So as a goal within Rapid City, we shoot on a single family house to do two to $300 a month is kind of what we're, we're looking at there. Um, that That's a goal. Important thing that I always talk about, usually everyone wants cash flow, but the reality is cash flow doesn't make you rich. So if you want to quit your job and move to a beach, Cash flow is important, but we need to have a lot of volume in order to get there. And most people can't buy 10, 20 houses in a year or two years to get there. So there's a time component there that we talk through. Um, and I think that's pretty important to go through. I feel like that's what a lot of people focus on too. They do. And, cash it, flow. and I think when you first start out, when I first started out, that was very important. It's still important. I'm not, not going to say it's not, but yeah, it's it's that safety piece. So first off, it, it allows you to change your life, which is what I appreciate about it. It allows you to say, okay... $300 a month probably isn't going to change your life, most people's life, right? Mm -hmm. But you multiply that by 10. So you get 10 of these houses over a course of a couple of years somehow through hard work and, and whatever else. Well, now you have $3,000 a month. That's a pretty good starting point for a lot of people to say, now I can change. Now my you know, a spouse can quit their job and stay home with kids, or I can quit my job, or I can start my own company, passion, whatever. So it allows, uh, that's how I usually approach it with that, with that piece of it. So, okay. Yeah. If that so then sense. what was the next one? Appreciation. Yeah. So appreciation is, so that's kind of the big one. I mean, a lot of times in investing, we don't talk a lot. We used to not talk about it too much because we couldn't predict it and we didn't want people to get in trouble, but we talk about it a lot more now. And basically what that means is how much is your house worth now compared to where you buy it? So if you bought it for a hundred thousand, 10 years ago and it's worth 200,000 now, that hundred thousand dollar deal is is a pretty big it's a pretty big swing. It takes a long time to get a hundred thousand in cash flow compared to appreciation. So it's the sure. ultimate, I would say mostly it's the ultimate like retirement plan. Like that's what we look at as a long term investment, um, how we can can move forward on that. So when you say long term investment, um, how many years? Yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's so personal, but I tell anyone getting out that's starting this, starting to getting in this, they need to hold a house for three to five years. And it's similar to what we spoke about in the past of we, there's expenses, there's fees, there's things that come into. And if you hold it for three to five years, you're going to more than likely make money. If you hold it for two, not long enough, a year, you might not, you might lose money. So, so you're kind of saying at least three to five years, anything over that, you should keep appreciating. And, yeah. and if it's a long-term plan, 10, 20 years, you have that house paid off and then it really is. Yeah, everything um, should be. I mean, the way I build, out. yeah, I build everything to be long-term. I mean, that's the, the goal of conversation is how many of these can you stack up and buy and then keep off because they become performing better, typically better later in life too. So your mortgage or your taxes and all that might stay consistent. Rents are going to grow. Appreciation is going to go higher. So you make more money on year 30 than you do on year two. So Sure. And so you could almost combine those cash flow and appreciation benefits 
for yeah. the same client, they, yeah. they could they could have the same. But yep. the goal ultimately is it's the ultimate goal. Yeah. So okay. in, so when we compare the difference, um, I I describe cash flow as typically covering expenses on the property. So now, if you have enough of them, you will actually have positive cash flow, meaning you can have hundreds, thousands of dollars, maybe. But if you just have one property, and we'll just start with one, that $300 a month that you're going to have a target goal on covers any maintenance expenses. So it makes your assets safe. Um, anything over that is just kind of kind of gravy, I guess, if you want to call it that. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So, and then the last one? Yeah, the last one that I can look at is tax advantages. So this is typically for someone who's a higher earner, more than likely doesn't have a whole lot of time to actually manage these or be involved with it. They're just looking simply for a deduction. And I wish I, I always wish I could give you a number of how much like how much do you save on taxes by owning a house or two houses or whatever. It's so personal I can never give someone an answer because there's a ton of factors that go into your taxes. But at the end of the day, it's it's substantial. We'll say that. So um I mean, there's every politician owns property, every business owner typically owns real estate, and, and they do it for lots of reasons, but they certainly do it for the write-off and the tax advantages as well. So the same investment buyer really is benefiting probably from all three of those. They, yeah, they are. It's just mostly the focus of where they're at. Your okay. new person just coming out, they can't afford to lose money every month. And right. there are wealthier people that can afford to lose money because the tax deduction is so great that they're technically not losing money. Or in the long term, or in the long term, they're not. Money, yeah, they the have the ability to ride that through. Right. Whereas someone that's just right out of college or young, yeah, they typically don't have the finances to lose $5,000 a year by owning a property and then have the, the handle on it. So perfect. So yeah. So there's a couple, we're just going to dig into two different asset classes to buy. So I guess the question here would be like, what are you actually, what should you buy if you're just starting out? Um, single family homes, typically to what most people grow up in or their neighbors or typical neighborhoods, that's going to be one category. And then the small multifamily is the other. So I, I don't know the technical description of a small multifamily, to be honest, but we'll just say, we're just going to say for loan terms, we're going to say under four. So four or less units okay. um, in one building. So, so a fourplex, a triplex, a duplex. Yep. Okay. Yep, for sure. Um, so I'm going to, I think the best way to do this is to kind of go through each one individually and kind of talk through them. So yeah, that let's first talk one, single family first. Yeah, so the single family, um, so some targets that I set for kind of clients or that we at least talk about. Um, again, that cash flow, we want to see 200 to $300 a month cash flow. So after all expenses, that could include management, um, you know, maintenance, things like that. We want to see a profit of between two and $300. Um, so that's kind of the first one we look at there. Go I want to ask one question. Yeah. There. How do you, um, you're figuring out cash flow, and that's usually if you have a mortgage on it, that's part of it, okay, taxes, insurance, and then maybe a few expenses if yeah. it's not management. How do you decide what the renter's going to pay to rent that home to be able to give you that cash flow? Sure. To understand where you're, yeah, how to get into it. It's a good question. I think, I think you have to talk to property managers. I think you have to talk to real estate agents. Um, you can even go so far if you don't trust either of those components or you just want to do it on your own. You can, you can literally run ads on Facebook, um, to see, you know, what the market, you have to test the market to see, because there are certain properties that rent for $1,500 a month in January that'll rent for 1650 in July. So there's a supply and demand issue that, that impacts all of pricing. So I know that doesn't really answer your question. The answer is it depends on a lot of variables, but do we just some homework. do some homework, understand what you're getting into and, uh, 
yeah. and maybe even be a little bit more conservative with that rental number because right now we're spiked. I mean, we went yeah. up pretty high in the last year just on rents here, but maybe. Yeah. What, okay. I'm, what I'm seeing with that is the conservativeness is the hard part in the, the equation. I mean, we see that within the normal real estate market. If you're too conservative, you'll never buy one because you'll never mm -hmm. find a number that makes sense that works. So you can't lean crazy conservative, but also you just want to be safe. It's, mm -hmm. it's a risk tolerance thing there. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah. Um, another benefit, I guess, of why people usually start with their single families is they're, they're relatively easy to find and then they're easy to loan on. So, you know, we joke about this. It's obviously not super easy to buy a house right now. There's a lot of competition, but the reality is, is there's far more single family houses out there than multifamilies that are available. So, um, that's a big part of it. And then the loans are so much different on single family house. There's a lot of different terms. I don't think we'll get too much into today, but I mean, you can buy a house live in it for one year, get a 30-year mortgage at a fixed rate at a really good interest rate, and then rent it and move out and do that again and again and again. So if you know the criteria, know the issues, you can do that. And that strategy requires pretty little, not a ton of money. Like this can be 0% down loans because you're going to be the one living in it. And then you're just transferring it over to a renter after the fact. That's probably oversimplified, but that's the concept of how it can work and how a lot of people can can start in it too. Can just get started in it if yeah, anything else. They can dabble and they yep. can turn their own home into into that rental property, which is typically I think how a lot of people start when they're sure. younger or don't have as much money. Uh another thing I really love about single families is they're just super easy to rent. And then we'll say they're easy to sell. And that's obviously easy to sell right now. But the rental side will kind of go back to that. So I've talked to a I just ran into a guy, an older guy at Menards that was telling me he rented a house for or an apartment for fifteen hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom, I think it's a 900 square foot place. So that that's expensive. Mm -hmm. um, we take that same thing and we say, okay, I've got lots of three bedroom, one bath houses in just say Robbinsdale, North Rapids. It doesn't matter where it's at. You're going to beat that $1,500 a month, one bedroom apartment all day long. Like mm -hmm. there's so many more people that want to live in a house that have a yard, that have a little bit of pride with it, just some space, no noise, things like that, kids. Um, and that, so that that wins. There's a ton of apartments being built right now, but my my thought or my perception on that is a good quality single family home will always beat an apartment, regardless of how many there are. Right. So okay. Yeah. And then probably the last thing that we like about the single family houses is they just appreciate so much faster um, than any other asset class, and that's that's going to be generalized, but typically. They just, there's more people that can buy them. There's more financing available. And because of those options, they just go up in value faster. So that's, okay. that's what I like about the single fam family. Okay. So if we jump into the next category we kind of talked about was that small, small multi-unit, you know, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, like you talked about. So typically people get into those more because they cash flow so much better it's just it's just the way they are. But typically when, when we look at those, you know, when I'm looking at putting a deal like that together, we're gonna say between three hundred to a thousand dollars a month cash flow. So the price might be more expensive. It will be more expensive than a small single family house, but you can see your overall return is considerably better with with multifamily. So that's a huge benefit. It's usually really you know, that's why people go into the multifamily. It's just because the cash flow piece of it's better than than multifamily. Right. Because you're getting Two to three rents versus one. Yeah. Yep. In one building, easier to manage, supposedly. And then kind of what you're saying there too, 
there's just an element of safety that I really like with that. So if you're getting three thousand or three hundred to a thousand in rents, and you have cash th- flow, cash flow, yeah, sorry, cash flow. Honestly, pretty much one of those units is probably less than a thousand dollars. So you're covering one of your units being vacant the whole time and still breaking even or maybe making money. So it's a very, it's a little bit more safe in that in that aspect. Um, typically, you need to put twenty percent down though. So that's kind of a piece that. We look at it, it just takes more money to buy these things, uh, more of a down payment. Um, so, I mean, that's something you have to consider. They're, they don't have to be, but I think a lot of times they're more challenging to get rent um, just because now you are competing with those nice apartments. You are competing sure. with single family houses. Depending on quality, we're just going to say typically multifamilies, small multifamilies are a lesser quality product than you know, they're, they're competitors. So what that means is you're going to get people that maybe, you know, the person in Rapid City that has $800 a month to buy, to rent a place, they're probably living on the edge. You know, their hours are getting cut and they might not be able to pay rent or they get sick or something happens in their life. They might not be able to. And that becomes kind of a, a little bit of a disadvantage in that aspect. Whereas if you're looking at a single family house at 1500, typically this might just be a, a bad thing. But what I've seen is those lives are a little bit more secure or they've got roommates that can work together to cover the gap. So that's kind of where I see that. that sure. Goal. And maybe um, small multifamily, if you're out shopping for that, then maybe location makes a bigger difference than some single families would or condition makes a bigger difference because, Absolutely, yeah. because of your competition as a renter. Yep. Yeah. Condition always plays. I mean, locate. Yeah. Those just like yeah. Very important. <laughs> super important. Obviously, okay. there you typically see more of the multifamilies in. We're going to push into like slightly less desirable areas. I will say that piece of it. If you go into the richest neighborhood in Rapid City, there's not an apartment building there probably, and there's not a duplex next door. So there is a little bit of a quality component that usually comes with that category. Um, but they can be very nice in in areas that are less desirable too. So sure. if you have a nice place in an area that's not great, you're still going to great. You're still going to get probably better tenants and and definitely more applicant flow. So that's an important piece of it too. Okay. One of the last things uh, I'll jump to. So the appreciation on multifamilies are typically slower, and that's going to go into the next point. And that's usually also connected that you have to sell it to another investor. So we're going to make the assumption, which maybe isn't true that investors are more savvy and knowledgeable on market conditions. So whereas you could maybe sell a single family to a lot of different people, sure. investors going to beat you up on price. So the real value of a multifamily is typically the initial cash flow and then using that for for income. It's not about the appreciation of getting rich what this thing's worth. It will most certainly go up in value over the years but not at the same rate. Not as at a the single same family. rate. Yep. Right, and I do like how you said that and I just want to touch on it again, is that if you own a single family and you're renting it out, when you go to sell it, you can sell it to another investor, but you can sell it to uh, a family or a first-time home buyer or, or, I mean, your market's wide open. Sure. Yep. Okay. Yep. The last thing we'll kind of touch on is kind of the the loan piece of it and how they differ from single families to uh, multifamily. So single family, there's probably a lot of people aware you can get 0% down loans, 3.5%, 5%, 20%. So there's a lot of different loans um, that you can get with any bank, any mortgage company on that. So there's just way more options on lending is where that comes down to. And is a lot of that because 
well, if you're going in with a conventional loan, yeah. um, there's more, there's more comps in the area to be able to appraise them out or is that different? It could be. I think, honestly, I think most of it is, this is my take on it, is most of it, the government wants to allow people to buy a house so they can live in it. Got it. So because they they want that, they incentivize banks and mortgage companies to hold interest rates down and to guarantee a loan term. So it's just a different loan product for the banks, um, but it's built in as they want. They want us to build equity and have home ownership because it's been identified as something that's important within our culture. So mm-hmm. um, that piece is there. I'll, the other piece with the loan I kind of touched on is that 30, the huge advantage of single family is that 30 year fixed rate. So you you don't, this isn't unlimited. You don't, you can't just buy a hundred single family houses with an interest rate um, that's low and a 30 year term. And we'll get into the commercial stuff down the road here in a sec. But basically with that being said is when you have a fixed interest rate and a fixed term, you perform really well on year five, even better on year 10, great on year 30, because that that rate is the same. Like your taxes and insurance change, but your rate, your rate doesn't, your mortgage doesn't, or it changes very little. So it's a huge, huge advantage in the long run on there. Um, and that's government backed, of course. That's kind of why they they do those fixed loans. So huge, I mean, the loaning terms on single family are just phenomenal or any of those fixed rates like that's really where everyone should be wants to be and and should be again if they if they can play in that space they should until they get kicked out okay yeah um the rules change all the time but right now the government i think says that you can have 10 of those units single family houses or even small multifamily if they qualify in your personal name um as long as you follow the rules typically the rules are you need to live there for, for one year and then you can go do it again and go do it again Sounds pretty great in theory, but it starts being an income issue as you get to, we'll just say five, a random number, because now you have to, you're still holding five mortgages. So you have to prove those rents. You still have to have a decent income and the qualifying just becomes more challenging down the road. As you get closer to 10, it becomes pretty hard, honestly, to to do that. But if you were dedicated and wanted a slow path, if you did one a year, every year of your life and had a pretty solid job, you could achieve that goal of owning 10 single family houses with government backed 30 year loans with low interest rates and you would be do phenomenal you would be able to probably retire very well it would be a, a good investment strategy okay the the last part of that that I kind of touched on but I'll say it again is those loans need to be held within your personal name typically so pretty normal question people are like oh I want it in my LLC well, well great but with those loans they they don't let you put those in an LLC at least not up front so you need to be able to hold that into you know, Scott Hendrickson has to own that house. I can't have an LLC loan that, um, at least when you take those loans out. Okay. So then let's let's talk financing on on multifamily homes, not single yeah. family homes. Yep. A little more complicated. A little more complicated. Yeah. There, and I'll say within the Rapid City market, you can still do government backed loans on small multifamilies. Like on a duplex? Yeah, yeah, but they have to qualify. And that's where we run into the issue in Rapid City because there's a lot of up-down duplexes with shared utilities. Which basically means that it was at one point a single-family home and somebody turned it into a duplex. Whether it's zoning or or other factors, the lender still wants to know that it is an actual duplex. Exactly. So huge important point there was the zoning. Okay. You can change them into, you can change any house into a duplex, triplex, rent out rooms. All of that doesn't really matter, but it does matter to the banks. 
And if you're trying to get a government back loaned and you have a single family house that has six people living in it, paying rents, they're going to say it, see it as a single family house. Um, so it just becomes tricky. Now, if you put two meters on that, but don't have a different separation, then you fall in this no man category. It's not a single family. It's not a duplex. Um, so it's definitely challenging, but how typically you get ar- around that is you just move into a 20% down category. So you're going to put more money into it, which then just opens up more banks are willing to take that risk of of that that mortgage or that investment. And would it be safe to say that one, having a real estate agent that knows kind of the difference or at least how to find the zoning and what that zoning means? Yeah. And then also, you know, is it a legal, what they call a legal duplex or a li- illegal duplex, which isn't as scary as it sounds. Yeah, non-conforming, yeah. <laughs> non-conforming. Yep. Um, because your your loan is going to be different should you then go into it as a single family or do you go into it as a duplex? There's just a lot of different ways of doing that. And I think teaming up with the right agent and lender and having that conversation up front as you're looking is important. Yeah, I think self-knowledge is probably like the number one. You should have a start of like read some books, listen to podcasts, all that stuff. Beyond that, lean on a lender or lean on an agent for sure. I think a lot of lender or a lot of agents uh, have dealt with investment properties they probably own some. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a big part of my business. So I always say find someone that owns more than, I mean, if someone owns more than three, they probably have a pretty good sense of what's going on. If they own just one, it's it's a little bit more questionable. They could be building it. They could have all the knowledge. It could be fine, but it just becomes a little bit more of, they have to prove that to you, I think, and, sure. and prove that through that knowledge. And experience just through working with other buyers in that market too. Absolutely. Yeah. And then what you said, I really like that. I think we deserve touching on it is that lender piece is huge. I have dealt with so many lenders that say, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Well, we can do it. And guess what? They, they fail out at the last minute and it's so frustrating. So partner with a good agent, partner with a great lender, the good agent and the good lender will know each other and they'll be able to work through it. And then you'll be able to, you know, actually purchase property and not just waste two months going through the process and having it fail sure. out because it's non-conforming and you got the wrong loan. So, and then your next investment property with that same team will be even easier. Easier. Yep. 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 It's just a kind of a standard. Yeah. You just keep building, building if that's what you're, you're looking for. Um, the other piece with the small multifamilies, and you can do it with, I do it with single family as well, is just your commercial loans. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So commercial loans are a pretty phenomenal product but the terms are different and people usually kind of freak out about the terms when they first hear them. So um, currently what I see a lot of is 5% interest rates. Um, whereas in that same period, we're doing three and a half interest rates on three and a half percent interest rates on single family, non-commercial that's gone up now. I know, but 5% is still higher than where we're at right now with interest rates. So your interest rates higher on commercial, your terms are so much different. So I talked a little bit about a 30 year loan, and what I mean there, that's a 30-year amortized loan, um, which makes your payment standard and it guarantees it for that 30 years. On commercial, you have a 10-year loan period typically, and it could be less, but we'll just say 10 on, on most. That interest rate's only guaranteed for three to five years, and then it has a readjustment on it. So with the inflation that we're seeing right now, you might have a 5% rate now. In three, five years, you could have a 10% interest rate. We don't know. We do our best to speculate and understand. We build the deal right to begin with, and then you don't have those concerns, but it is something to kind of consider. And then um, the big deal at the end is it's it's 10 years and you're out. Regardless on most commercial loans, you have 10 years and then you have to refi and move on. And so it's either refi or sell. Or sell, yeah. Yep. Yep. 
And that could still be enough appreciation to walk away really nicely. Typically it is. Yeah. yeah. Typically in 10 years in any part of history, it, houses have gone up so much that every bank will relend on that at mm-hmm. the certain same rate. And you could probably refi and actually pull money out of it. You just have so much equity into it by 10 years that it shouldn't be an issue, but it could be an issue if you don't have a job or um, our interest rates are out of control. It circumstances, Circumstances, right? then yeah. you have to sell. But there's always an out and even selling that situation is typically mm-hmm. pretty profitable. So. Yeah, in 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. No, you're good. <laughs> the, the other piece with that, and I was just kind of the last piece I have on that is the LLC piece. So we talk about this. Everyone wants a thing in an LLC or a property in LLC. And with commercial, you can do that. They care more about the property and the money, the profit, the expenses, all of that. And they care less about your situation. So you as a lender are a little bit less important. You just got to find the right property that the bank likes and that they trust will produce the income that needs to to support the loan. So you've worked commercial loans and you've worked like a conventional loan in your world. Um, Is one easier yeah. Through the process. Yeah, for sure. Commercial loans are just just phenomenally easier. You don't have to jump through all the hoops. You still have to prove things, tax returns, all that stuff that's normal. Um, but at the end of the day, if you find a good product, every bank will lend on it. Whereas if you find a, you know, a normal loan, normal 3% down loan or whatever, you just have to follow so many criteria. Because the government it wants it to be safe. They don't let it just anyone get these. Um, they make you file a checklist. Whereas you look at commercial and that's going to be more like a private investor investing in your loan rather than the government yeah. investing in the loan. Yeah, so commercial loans aren't government-backed. They are held within banks typically or lending institutions. Sometimes they get sold off, but they don't ever get sold off. I don't think they ever get sold off to any government-backed agency. The government's not guaranteeing those. So it makes the banks do probably a better job, honestly, to make sure that the asset's good and, the, and everything right. about the deal is better. So part of partnering up with the right team. Yeah, yep. Okay. Cool. Well, thanks, Scott, uh, for sharing your knowledge and experience on this awesome topic. And if you guys ever have questions, our contact information is going to be in the show notes. And so you can reach out, ask questions. If there's a a topic through all of this investing that you want us to hit on, we would love to hear it. We hope this episode sparked some curiosity or grew your confidence to make your next move in the real estate world. Reach out to us with questions or for tangible steps you can take to get started. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. Our contact info and social media links are in the show notes. Make it a great week.